0: The streets and alleyways of Calcutta, India are overwhelming, especially to an introvert. The crush of people, the pace, the poverty, and the pollution can drag your heart in a thousand different directions, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was challenged that day when I was in Calcutta to keep my eyes off of my comfort and my preferences and open to what God was saying, and if I was to be completely open, honest, and transparent, I was not doing a very good job of any of that. Our car pulled over to the side of a packed street. Our guide by the name of Matt jumped out and started walking. I tried to follow him as best I could, but the sheer crush of people made it almost impossible. We went up a street, up another street, down an alleyway, and when I turned into the alleyway, I actually stopped for just a second because the alleyway was packed with people. They were lying and standing and coughing and begging and sleeping and pleading for help. On top of that, it was hot, like not 80 degree Whatcom County hot, like 105 degree hot, and I was dripping with sweat and anxiety. Asking God, why in the world did you bring me here? And I called out to Matt to try and slow down, but he seemed to be intent on getting somewhere. And so I'm plowing ahead, having some irrelevant conversation with Jesus about the need for global air conditioning or something stupid like that. And I see the top of Matt's head duck through a doorway and I plow after him. And as I, as I go through the doorway, I'm actually calling out loud to him. I'm just like, Matt, like slow down. I'm in mid-sentence and this is what I hear. shh. And I shushed. (laughs) Just inside the doorway was a tiny little lady wrapped in a white drape with blue trim. And she shushed me. And she shushed me in such a way that I actually shushed. And honestly, I was a little taken aback. Like, why are you shushing me? And she stared me into absolute silence. And then she reached out grabbed my hands, and whispered, Welcome home. We were at the home of Mother Teresa, and one of her nuns had welcomed me home. I thought she shushed me, but in reality, she simply paused me. She paused my preferences, she paused my pulse rate, she paused my stress and my tension, she paused my life, and I am profoundly grateful for that tiny little pint size force of nature. For the next few hours, I wandered around Mother Teresa's home, and it was so unbelievably pure. As I went into the room with her memorial crypt where she was laid to rest, I noticed that Her nuns had actually put a message on the top of her crypt. They actually made it in flowers and these were the words that were written on the top of that crypt. Do whatever he tells you to do. The words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the very first miracle of turning water into wine, this is what was written on the top of that memorial crib. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. It was a small pause that changed the direction of my life in the middle of culture shock and heat and stress and anxiety. A miracle happened. I actually found rest. I hope you find the same today. In fact, I'm going to give you permission for something today. If you nod off or fall asleep somewhere in the service today, that would be perfect. All throughout the Bible, people are overwhelmed and stressed and tired and burned out, but they keep finding rest. My wife, Laurel, has been studying Chronicles. God keeps bringing her back to First and Second Chronicles over and over and over again. These beautiful books in the Old Testament that are sometimes difficult to read. And this verse keeps showing up. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. I have a challenge for you right now. Would you pause with me as I read them again? I want to to challenge you to allow your heart rate and your pulse and your brain to actually match the speed of me reading those verses again. They, being the people of Israel, sought God eagerly. And he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Laurel sent me a little note about that passage, and I thought it was so spot on for our world today. The great theologian Laurel Fishbook said the following, often when we are weary, seeking after God sounds like one more thing to accomplish. What we need to remember is that he rewards that effort with rest. We need to hear that message today. So here's what we're gonna do. Today we're gonna create a place for rest. Why? Because we need it. Let me tell you why. I was reading an article this past week. It was entitled This Is America Burning Out? And I know many of us would say, Absolutely not. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very, very much. But these were the words of the author. They said, In the face of a pandemic, a fragile economy, racial injustice, political frustration, hot issues, and even hotter opinions, are we burning out? And I know many of us would say, absolutely not. Are you absolutely sure? Let me tell you some of the symptoms of burnout. Cynicism. Anybody else felt just a little cynical these days? Emotional numbness. Anybody else just turned it all off and said, forget this noise. I can't even handle this anymore. How about disproportionate emotional responses? You know what that means? That means you get angry over things that normally would not set you off. You combine that, these these disproportionate emotional responses with this indifference. So you've got not caring about one thing, over-caring about something else. Here's another symptom. Loss of motivation. One more. The inability to think straight. Oh boy, all of a sudden many of us that would think I'm not burnt out would go... Maybe I'm a little bit more so than I actually thought I was. Here's another indicator. It's self-medication, which for the record includes the following. Stress eating, stress shopping, substance abuse, and an open doorway to porn and isolation. Just so you know, all of those things are at epidemic levels in our country right Now, do any of these things resonate with you? And right away, we we flip to the big question. Grant, what do we do? What do we do to try and get away from that? Wrong question. Go small. The question is not what we do. The question is how do we pause? Because God has an answer to burnout. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna find God in the small pause moments of every single day life. This is gonna be simple and practical. We're gonna take a big, deep breath and then we're gonna have communion. I was coming into work a couple of weeks back. It was really, really early in the morning, and I was focused. I mean, I was focused on the day. My eyes were forward, looking through the windshield. My calendar spinning through my head. I've got a list of tasks that I'm just knocking. I'm going to knock these things out. I've got news radio on in the background. That is so encouraging these days, isn't it, right? My brain is engaged in the human realm. I'm so wrapped up in what I'm going to accomplish and how I'm just going to get through this day. It's going to be incredible. And then I look to the left. And this is what I see. I am not a good photographer. This is the best my iPhone could do. That's what was to my left. And God said, hey Grant, pull over. And I did. And I just stopped for a second. And I took a picture. And what besieged my brain was this thought. If the God who painted that picture... If the God who created that backdrop, if the God who wrapped that sun up inside of his hands and formed it and then pinched Mount Baker together between his forefinger and his thumb, if the God of heaven that painted that backdrop could take care of all of those details and paint it just so I would take three minutes to pause, if the God of heaven could do that, Why in the world am I freaking out about what's happening in the world? I mean, all it took was just stopping and looking. The Bible has a word for that. I want all of us today to walk out of here with some very specific, specific applications. We're going to learn how to pause to Selah, okay? Selah is a Hebrew word. No one knows exactly what it means. It's a transliteration of a word, but it encompasses all of these ideas, to pause, to stop, to think, to reflect. I stopped for a moment because the grandeur of God stopped me in my tracks. And in doing that, I actually had a moment to pause. The Bible says we need to learn how to say la. Here's Psalm 66, verses one through four. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name. And then there's that little word. Selah. Pause. Just stop and think about it. Reflect for just a moment. The mountains this morning are singing a worship chorus to God. The sun is howling at the top of his lungs. Jesus is in control. The lakes and the rivers and the trees are all lifting their hands to God right now, saying, you know what? God's got enemies, but they are cringing and shuddering in their boots. They have no idea what they're up against. When your eyes are fixed forward and not upward, we miss the invitation of God to simply pause and see his glory and his power. Here's your homework. Take a walk and look around. Say off for just a minute and see what happens in your heart. Here's another invitation. It's another pause. It's to pause to pray. Why is this so important? It's so important for us to be praying right now because we are in a battle, but I don't think it's the battle most of us think it is. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For our struggle, and some of us feel like we're in a struggle, is not against flesh and blood. You should underline that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you notice who God says our struggle is against? God doesn't say our struggle is against each other. So it means this, if you're battling with other humans, you need to stop, knock it off, get your head on straight, you're fighting the wrong enemy. This is the way that I see it. If I see people as my enemy, I have completely missed it. Now don't misunderstand me. People can be the victim of the enemy. But when I see someone being victimized by Satan, my heart actually goes out to them and I can do a whole lot more listening. I'm a lot more patient. People can be the victim of the enemy, but make no mistake, our arch enemy in this battle, in this struggle, is Satan himself. And if he can distract us with infighting and opinion, and these are my right kind of statements, you know what we're doing? We're playing right into his hands. I mentioned last week about my disillusionment watching a clergy social media feed where the debate was whether or not privately, as men and women of the cloth, they needed to pray for a sick person who just happened to be our president. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I went over it in my brain. Okay, let me get this straight. God said, pray for the sick. Pray for your leaders. Oh, and even if that person happens to be on the opposite end of your political spectrum, Jesus still has you covered because he said, pray for your enemies. Done. In that moment, it's a shall we pray moment. It's biblical. Rich Valotis is an incredible author. He wrote these words. He said, people think that praying for those that they have trouble loving or liking is a matter of warm sentiment. But for the Christian, it's a matter of obedience. We pray for enemies not because it feels good to do so, but because our Lord called us to be different from the world. That's just good. Pause to pray. Pause to pray with joy. Pause to pray with hope. Pause to pray with passion, with thanksgiving. It will lead you to a place of peace. I might get in trouble for this, but I tell you what, if I could tattoo this verse on the forehead of every believer in Whatcom County right now, I would consider it. Because I believe this needs to be forefront in our minds. Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, church, when was the last time you did that? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, pray, be thankful, and you know what will happen? God will wrap his peace around your shoulders just like the fog wrapped itself around Whatcom County almost every day last week. Here's another invitation. Pause to think. All right, this one's relevant, isn't it? Pause and think before you react. Pause and think before you spend. Pause and think before you speak. Pause to think before you hit send. Pause to think before you just start ranting. Just stop and think. And here's what's amazing. Jesus actually tells us what to think about, what to focus on. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, I read it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is an imperative command from Scripture. So here come the questions, right? What are you focusing on right now? Is your focus on the excellent or the praiseworthy or are you focused on the chaos and what somebody says is newsworthy? I mean, honestly, what are you thinking about these days? What are you welcoming into your mind and your heart? I am not advocating avoidance. I'm pleading for priorities. Some of you grew up in the church. Let's go old school. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Kerry Newhoff is actually a Canadian pastor, Canadian blogger. He has such a unique perspective from where he pastors up north of the border. He wrote this this past week. I thought it was so profound. Don't let your news feed filter your reading of scripture let your reading of scripture filter your newsfeed. The former fuels anxiety, the latter diffuses it. That's just good, good wisdom. Don't look at everything through the lens of, of, of media and social media. Instead, open your Bible. Find out what God's heart is for each and every individual across the world. And then raise your eyes up. Make your petitions be made known to him. And then worship and love him in spirit and in truth. That's going to take some time. You're going to have to pause. Last one. Pause to rest. Here we go. Some of you need to take a nap and have a snack. Pastor's orders this afternoon. You know why? Because some of us are so weary, we are not acting in our right mind right now. We are so exhausted and so tired that everything just sets us off. This is God's word to his church today. You need to take a nap. Some of you are like, I think I can say amen, but I'm not sure. Amen. Some of you need to stop striving and start resting. Not resting because your exhaustion has overtaken you. No, resting because God commanded you to embrace the wisdom of rest. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Ten Commandments have not been repealed or revoked. They're still applicable. They're still good wisdom. They're still God's standard. And he actually told us, I love you enough to tell you, you have to do This So here's a commandment that is so tied to rest. It's the commandment to take a Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. He rested on the seventh day. Can we clear this up once and for all? God did not take a nap because he needed to refresh or strengthen himself. He took a nap to model to you that you should take a nap. It wraps up with these words. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy and I understand exactly how this works because our American go get' them, go bigger go home mentality kicks in right away like grant you didn't understand. Time's flying, people are dying. I got to get my stuff open. I mean, I got to get the, up the corporate ladder as quickly as I possibly can. I got to finish school. I got to get this stuff done. Like, I've got to push, push, push. I got to make money while I can. I have no idea what tomorrow has. I mean, after all, I got to go hoard more toilet paper. That's going to be the key to peace in this crazy, crazy world. Grant, I can't afford to take a break. God says you can't afford not to. If you struggle with a day of rest, let me phrase it differently. What about a day to savor? That's what Sabbath means. It means to savor. A day out of the normal chaos to pause, reflect, enjoy, savor, eat, love, gather, or go solo. It's a day to embrace and focus on the God who's above all of the chaos. Every time I talk about Sabbath, I have to share this piece. So, years ago, I went on a sabbatical because I was cooked. I'm not preaching to you today, I'm preaching to me. I was tired and exhausted. And as part of my sabbatical, I was connecting with a therapist up in Canada. He's a psychologist by the name of Dr. Ducklow. I call him Ducky. If you struggle with the fact that your pastor has a therapist, okay but I do, and he helps me work things out in my head and my heart. I was in a difficult place at that time, and he drove me a little bit nuts, because every time I came for an appointment, he always started off asking exactly the same question. What did you have for breakfast? I'm like, seriously? Like, seriously? I don't know. Something and coffee. Why are you talking about my breakfast choices? Here's what I had, not granola. That's what I had, okay? Like, why are you pressing in on me on my dietary, uh, you know, opportunity? This is just, just, I want my head straightened out. I want my heart moved in the right direction. I got to get some stuff together. And you want to talk to me about whether I had Cheerios or not? Like, seriously, every single session. What'd you have for breakfast? I don't know. Coffee and something. What did you have for breakfast? Mm, Drove me nuts. And then I figured it out. I remember the morning I had my session. I was, I was ready for it. I was waiting for him. He's like, hey, Grant, good morning. What would you have for breakfast? I said, you want to know what I had? Ducky, this is what I had. I, I, I had a cinnamon bagel. And the cinnamon was so well baked through the entire batch of bagel dough that when I put it in the toaster, it just started filling the entire kitchen and when I got it out, it was toasted to a golden perfection, and I actually put together peanut butter and honey, which I think is like a godly combination for anyone. I stirred them together into this beautiful golden mass of goo, and I spread it over top of the bagel, and it was still so hot, it started dripping down the side, so it got on my fingers, and when I bit into it, it was just this perfect balance of of crunchy, and soft, and peanut, and honey, and cinnamon, and bread. It was so unbelievably good. I said, and you know what else? I figured out something about my coffee ritual. Every morning, I make a cup of coffee, and then I pour creamer in it because I really love the way it changes the color and swirls inside of the liquid, and then I discovered something else. I I take my spoon, and I always stir two and a half times in a counterclockwise direction, and then I tap the spoon twice, and then I always lay the spoon down on my granite countertop with the bowl part first, and then I let it drip right off the edge of my finger because I like the little ting sound that it makes when it hits. And he went, finally. (laughs) You're actually tasting something. You've slowed down enough to experience something. Follower of Jesus, what did you have for breakfast yesterday? Some of you are like, the same thing I always have. Mix it up. Savor it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. God created a gift for you. Work hard for six days and on day number seven, and please let's not get legalistic about which day it is. People want to argue that with me. I'm like, look, I'm a pastor. I work Saturdays and Sundays. My Sabbath is Friday. If you want to bust me about slowing down on a Friday, have at it. That's totally cool, but seriously, it's not about the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. My question is this, do you have a day when God gets your focus so you can savor? So that you can savor the picture of a mountain or a honey-glazed bagel or a slow conversation with your wife or your husband? Do you have a day when you can take a walk around your backyard and just enjoy what God has placed in that little tiny space? When was the last time you hugged a puppy? Like whatever it takes. This is where it gets tough for people. Because we often forget that Jesus actually said the Sabbath doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me and it's a gift to you. Because these are the implications. God owns your Sabbath. Going to get in trouble, here it comes. God owns your Sabbath, not the NFL. Uh Uh-oh. Not your to-do list. Not your gaming habit. No, the God of heaven would pull up his chair beside you and said, you are so busy, here's what I want you to know. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, and I actually want the exact opposite for you, so here's what I need you to do. Come away with me and get some rest. I found these words this past week, which just ministered to my soul. They start with this, my faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. The author was talking about a different kind of device. Normally, most of us are thinking about our phones, and the truth is, we should probably learn how to Sabbath from those as well, but uh, these words, not in device nor creed, were actually written in 1891, so I think they were prophetic. Prophetic. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We need a Sabbath now more than we ever have. Take it. Take it. Pause. And let me give you one more place to rest. It's in this beautiful thing called communion. I'm learning today that communion is not just about remembering what Jesus did. It's about what he's doing right now. The transformation of how he can radically transform and redirect a life if we would just understand how much he loves us. You know, it's interesting. The early church was actually condemned because a lot of people (laughs) thought they were cannibals. I know it sounds kind of weird, but they were because they're always talking about like drinking blood and eating flesh. And let's be honest, if you don't understand the context, that's a little morbid, right? I have an atheist friend. He's just like, Grant, washed in the blood of the lamb? That's just gross. I'm like, it's not if you understand the story. I said, here's the story. Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. He came and lived a perfect life. And then his body was literally broken and his blood was literally spilled so that I could have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. You see, what he was doing was was paying a price that I couldn't pay. He was wiping away my sin record. He was atoning for uh, for my sin so that I could have a relationship with him and live with him eternally forever. If you understand that context, it's not gross, it's beautiful. Think about that lens and then listen to Jesus talking about communion, John chapter 6. Stick with me all the way through. It says, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And I know some of you read that and it's like, it just still seems a little bit. Here's the beauty of it. On a night before Jesus was crucified On the same night he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. The Bible says he helps us understand the picture because after a beautiful meal with his closest group of friends, Jesus stands up and he takes bread and he breaks it and he said, this is a symbol. I would paraphrase what he said this way. This is a symbol of how I was broken so you could be made whole. And I want you to savor it. I want you to take a bite. I want you to savor what I did and what I'm doing in you right this very second. And they all ate it together. And the Bible says he took a cup of wine and he blessed it. And this is my paraphrase of what he said. He goes, this is a symbol of my blood that was spilled so that your blood didn't need to be spilled. This is an opportunity for you to have new life, eternal life through me. And here's the craziest part of it. You can't pay for it. It's a gift. And every time you take it, you remember what I did and you focus on what I'm doing. I have a challenge for you. My wife challenged me with this and now I want to pay it forward and challenge you. I'm in it about a week. I want to challenge you as a church to pause and take communion every single day from now until November the 4th. Every day. Every day. As an intentional pause, as a commitment to putting Jesus in front of everything, as a spiritual practice, I want to challenge you to stop, remember what Jesus did, and focus on what he's doing every single day from now until November 4th. I'm in it for about a week, and I cannot believe the change in my heart. My perspective has flipped completely upside down. Because make no mistake, regardless of what happens on November 3rd and 4th, I have a king. And he has his own kingdom. And I am one of his dearly loved sons. And I'm looking at his sons and daughters right now. God knows exactly what he's doing. Let's never forget that. So we're actually going to do that right now. Hopefully on social media, if you're watching at home right now, and I'm so glad you are, hopefully you saw the prompts on social media to have some communion elements. I mean, that can be as simple as as a cracker and a little piece of juice. I mean, if you're in a coffee shop right now, it's just perfect, right? Bagel and and coffee, you're good. You're good. I know some people are like, are you sure, Grant? Yeah, no, you're good. This is personal It's about God invading whatever space we happen to be in. Here in the room, you got a little self-serve container. Best we could do so not everybody was touching it. Can I give you just a clue about making this easier? You peel the first foil and there's bread under there. Then you peel the second foil and there's juice under that. If you peel the second foil first, it's going to crumble and then you're going to have to lick it up and it's just not good for anybody, okay? I'm just saying, personal experience, okay? But here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to walk you through communion today. I'm not going to say this do in remembrance of me and then we're all going to take it together. That's not what we're doing. Because there's someone here who's so much better at guiding you through communion. His name's the Holy Spirit. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to take that little cup And at home, you're gonna take whatever it is that you have prepared. And when the Holy Spirit of God says, now is the time, you're gonna take the bread and you're gonna remember what he did and what he's doing right now. Then you're gonna take the cup and you're gonna remember what he did and what he's doing right now. And you're actually gonna take a deep breath and pause, maybe for the first time this week. While we're doing that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say la. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and join me. Our videographer, Joe, uh, Johnny Bryant, who's so unbelievably talented, he did that little short film with the little girls in the Duplo. I just th- I love the story of that every time I watch it. Johnny went up into the mountains and he recorded some of God's grandeur. He flew a drone up over top of it so you could get a bird's eye view of God's perspective. And we're gonna play that. And the worship team is gonna play quietly and they're gonna sing. You don't have to sing. It's just a quiet, quiet song. I want you to actually pause for a moment and listen to Jesus right now. And when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit says, okay, okay, you take the bread. When he says, okay, take the cup. Now, I know some of you are just like, but I'm at home, Grant. I didn't actually get the prompt. I'm trying to scramble. Don't scramble right now, okay? Can I tell you something? You have the whole rest of this day, and if God wants you to take communion in an hour, wait and take it in an hour. Don't hurry. It kind of defeats the point. So we're gonna listen We're going to be still. We're going to step fully into this moment. We're going to see the grandeur of God by pausing to think and say la. And when God prompts you, let's receive communion together. Father God, in Jesus' name right now, we welcome you here. We thank you for what you're about to do in a tiny little three-minute pause. God, we love you, we hear you, and we're slowing down for you on purpose. God, meet us in the pause. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just be still. haven't taken it, don't let me rush you. Take your time. When we pause our perspective shifts, I know for some of us we were feeling a little closed in because of the fog last week. What if you saw it as God's presence just wrapped around you and just tucking you in? you're okay what if you remembered that if you get up above the fog it's nothing but perfect clear pause gives us the opportunity to do that so in a moment I'm going to pray and then I'm going to dismiss you we're going to do something a little different at the end of the service today but I want to encourage you to start now and walk out slowly slowly I wonder how many of us missed the color of the trees in the parking lot. They're breathtaking. I wonder if any of us stopped to see our reflection in a puddle. I wonder how many of us missed it all because we were just going way too fast. Let's just slow down and see what God does. God, thank you for an opportunity to pause. Thank you for an opportunity to get on your timeline and your schedule. God, this week, I pray that we would make small strategic decisions to say law, to pray, to think, and to rest. God, I pray that we would take communion every day from now until November the 4th. I pray that we would trust you. I pray that we would rest easy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.